and then maybe an hour later actually roll out to the rest of the Just customers. don't tell Apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job, but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreaks show. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. You know, I know the locals don't say this. But I'm an old Almond Brothers fan from way back. Well, hello from Hotlanta. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have two guests. We have Donovan Brown. Yep. Hi, I'm Donovan Brown. I'm a senior DevOps program manager here at Microsoft. And Josh Weber. Hi, I'm Josh Weber. I'm a senior PM with the PodCamp team. Awesome. Now, the topic of our discussion today is mobile DevOps, which isn't really a term that I've heard before. And I, I had it explain to me a little bit before this, but do you want to kind of give us an introduction to what this is, one of you? Sure. I actually defined DevOps for, for Microsoft, and we defined it very succinctly as the union of people, process, and products okay. to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. And that applies to all software, mobile included. Mm -hmm. But what you realize when you're dealing with mobile is there's very unique challenges with mobile. The device proliferation, the distribution mm -hmm. of that app, the testing of the app, and even the development of the app. Because before Xamarin and Cordova, you were having to write it multiple times. So the reason that we classify mobile DevOps differently is because it just has this unique set of challenges. But the goal of DevOps is the same no matter what application it is you're writing. So we should even back up and talk about DevOps. Because sure. we're, we're mobile developers. And that's something that our, our, our back-end teams deal with. You right. Know, we don't even know what it is, generally. Do you want to take that or...? Yes, I think my take's always been that DevOps is is the kind of the new evolution of the agile uh, like manifesto kind of approach, right? Like ultimately, like as developers, right, we produce like a product, and uh, the goal is to get that product into end customers' hands, right? And so anything that gets between you and the end customer is really kind of like waste, right? Like it gets in your way. And so DevOps is basically encompassing not just the dev process but the entire kind of release. A process to do that. I, I really like Donovan's definition that it says it's not just tools, it's people and process. And because I think it's it's really critical that like when you think through DevOps, you gotta think through the entire pipeline. And a lot of that is the human portion of that, right? Like people make decisions and, and basically how do you empower those people to make the decisions and how do you encode that into a repeatable process so that it's actually uh like refined what's what's funny <laughs> what's ironic is that people is the most difficult part and it's the part we try to get rid of as much as we that's possibly right, can right, right? we right, literally yeah. try to automate every right. portion that we can so that humans don't make mistakes because we do that's what makes us human is that we make mistakes when we're told to go do something where we have a lot of pressure where a machine will happily do the same thing over and over and mm -hmm. over again and you were you made an interesting statement that oh i'm a mobile developer the that's the back-end people's problem but how do you get the changes that you made to the front in the mobile application to your end users, right? There's friction there. There's you having to stop building on a, on a Mac if, it's, if you're doing iOS, and then you're going to have to then take that and get it into the store somehow. And how did you get it to your testers before you got in the store? You had to sideload it on the devices so that they could go test it and give you feedback. There's a lot of friction in 
from the, I always like to say it, taking the value from your fingertips and getting into the hands of your users, mm -hmm. there's a lot of friction in mobile. And what we're trying to do here with the acquisition of Xamarin and the acquisition of Hockey App and the integration with team services is to reduce that friction, not only for your back end, but your, for your front end as well. Because as a user, I need them both to be in sync. I can't yeah. use your new feature if the back end that supports it's not there, right? And, and vice versa. So I need them to move through that pipeline as a unit. And with the integrations that we have in team services, you can now do that. The database, the web services, and the mobile front end all move as a unit. And they go through the process together. So do you think that mobile DevOps is more or less complicated than, than traditional DevOps? Because, I mean... My first tech job was essentially managing servers for a university, right? Okay. And so our operations stuff basically managed a few hundred, maybe a thousand or a couple thousand servers, right? But we're talking, especially on a popular app, we're talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of devices, millions of devices. I mean, you know, if there's a change to Pokemon Go or something, right? Yeah. A lot of people are getting this. So... Overall, do you think that's easier or harder or about the same? I think mobile DevOps is substantially more difficult right, than traditional DevOps, mm -hmm. right? Because traditional, let's, let's do a web app, right? If I'm doing yeah. a web application, I'm pushing it to one web server, yes, and it's done, yep, right. Everyone gets it, right? And I only have to test it on maybe Chrome, Firefox, mm -hmm. Safari, and IE, right? Right. And I'm done. To do mobile DevOps, you have to test it on as many physical devices as you possibly can. And that's mm -hmm. why things like Perfecto Mobile's test cloud, while Xamarin's test cloud, that's why those are so important is because no one in their right mind should even go and attempt to buy all the devices you would need to be able to test successfully. Right. So what you do is you offload that to a service. But again, mm -hmm. that comes with waste. That comes with time unless you do what we've done at Microsoft and we integrate that into the pipeline. So we take the latest bits. We deploy them to thousands of machines for you, and then we mm -hmm. run automated tests for you so that you don't have to do it manually. Right. And then based on the output of that, we then say, okay, we believe this is ready for the store. And the store is really going to do the mass distribution for you. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to get it into the store for you with the highest possible quality and the lowest friction and the highest velocity. Right. So, so what are the pieces then that a mobile team needs in their DevOps pipeline in order to successfully deploy apps that don't have bugs and do all the builds and everything that you're talking about. That's a good one, too. Uh, yeah. I'll let you I mean, it's interesting that you say, like, kind of required. I wouldn't say anything is necessarily required, right? The like best practices. But there's best yeah. practices that are going to help you. And I, I think really when it's best practices, it's not that it's required. It's just right. that it's just that a lot of people have found that doing mm -hmm. these activities gains more value mm -hmm. than, than they cost, right? That right. they're a net benefit to your development cycle. I mean, ultimately, it, it, it all starts with the build, right? Like, mm -hmm. you want to have a repeatable build that's safe and, and usually triggered automatically, like, you know, the faster you can detect even a build break is the faster you know that there's something wrong with your software. Right. With the build, right, you should be doing automated testing, right? Like, so that includes things like unit tests, which everybody hopefully is doing unit testing. They're a great aid to software quality. Yes. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you guys are unit testers or not. But uh, definitely... I'm a fan. I think Jane has done a oh, fair sure, bit, too. Definitely. Yeah. So. so I'd say you definitely want to get unit testing. But even beyond that, especially in the mobile world where, you know, the devices are so different, right? The the environment is so heterogeneous mm -hmm. that you, you really need to test on the actual physical devices. Yes. That's where something like the, the test cloud really kicks in, right? Where you can actually run the the actual real software before it gets out in production in an automated, repeatable way on actual devices. So you can catch these regressions that are really hard to catch um, kind of ad hoc testing, right? Like mm -hmm. you're just not going to load onto every device possible. You're not going to be able to catch that stuff. Hey, and my so ad hoc testing 
is I deploy yeah, it out right. there and I have people complain. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was your testers, your, your, te your users are your testers yeah. at that point. Yeah. It was yep. good. I was at a conference one time and I, I asked some people if they did unit testing and some guy was like, yeah, I do a ton of unit testing, you know. I load it up in the simulator and like whatever section of the thing that I tested, I make sure I click right on that and I unit <laughs> test that part that I just built so that I click manually on that every single yeah. time. And I was like, well, that's... That's, that's a start. It's a start. It's a great start for for testing. I always qualify automated unit tests because I get yeah. that answer a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And in in his defense, he was right. Yeah, he did unit test that, but automated unit test is yeah. the key because he only unit tested that one thing that he changed. He didn't then go and unit test everything else he's ever right. changed. Mm -hmm. Where automated unit tests will go and find that for right. you. And I always give the we've all done this as developers where your boss comes into your office and he's breathing down your neck and says, oh my God, stop what you're doing. There's a bug. Go fix it. What do we do? We stop everything. Uh -huh. And we go and we code up a fix. And it works now. And we push it out the door. And then a week later, here he is back in your office for some other reason, another bug, right? And you do the exact same thing. You fix it. There's no unit test. You push it out the door. Everyone's happy. Then all of a sudden you have deja vu. It's like three days later, that first bug comes back. You're like, uh -huh. what the hell is this, right? I know I fixed this already. And you don't realize that the change you're making to fix one is actually breaking the other. But had I stopped before he's like, fix this and written a unit test for the first one yeah, and let it pass. Got it. Good. It's fixed. Pushed out the door. When I had made the change for the second one, that test would have failed and immediately told me, Donovan, these are related, right? Yep. You need to be, the way that you're fixing this isn't correct. So automated unit test is key, it's automated right? Really yeah. Key. The, and one other thing that you mentioned is that you're the way that you do manual testing. I still think manual testing is, is oh, crucially testing important, is crucially important. So you cannot rely solely on automated testing because users just do things that you didn't program your test to go do. Your yes, test uses but, it correctly. But for unit tests, the other thing with automated unit tests is that in a lot of cases, I can run that on my machine really quickly and just know. Yeah. That it works, For right? For sure. So that's the other thing. Yep. You don't have to wait until it goes up to the build server. Absolutely. Very you know, good point. You, 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 doesn't do, have to, you yeah. don't have to wait on the test cloud. You can yeah. actually find out. And it should be mm -hmm. very quickly, as you yep. pointed out, right? Unit tests are supposed to be isolated. They're supposed to be extremely fast. Yep. And let me know, yep, you're good. Go ahead and check this mm -hmm. in, and then we'll go through the, the yeah, other Yeah, but you were talking testing. about manual testing. So yeah, I was ahead. just saying that manual, a lot of people, I, I get a lot of people say, Donovan, I love all your preaching about DevOps. Does that mean I don't have to do any more manual testing? I'm like, no, <laughs> no right? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to automate as much as I can, That's but right. you don't you don't get rid of that. Yeah. And the story that I always tell, which is great, I think Sam Guckenheimer told me this one where he was saying they had run all their battery of automated testing, passed with flying colors. The guy made a simple change. It was like a CSS change. No big mm -hmm. deal, right? Of course, all the tests are going to pass. Then all of a sudden, their telemetry had this huge drop-off on completions of this wizard. And they oh, didn't wow. understand. They're like, what's going on? Well, the CSS change made the text and the button the same color. So oh, no, no one could see what they were like, what was I committing to, right? What, uh -huh. So no one, no human would click it. But the automation happily clicked the button, right? Because yeah. they didn't mm -hmm. know better not to. Yeah, so exactly. So it's a perfect yep. example of where... You can rely on automation a lot, but forever. If there's a user interface, you better have a human being look at that before it goes live. That's my personal opinion. So if we're talking about like unit testing, and with the test cloud, we're talking about Xamarin, C Sharp. How are you writing your unit tests? A lot of our, our fans were native iPhone developers, so we're doing XC unit, that type of thing. How does testing work in C Sharp world, and how does that integrate with you know, the test cloud? Uh, well, I, I can fill that one out. Sure. Yeah. So we actually have a generator inside of Visual Studio that will actually allow you to f connect either a physical device or a emulator and actually click through the app while we write the actual C-sharp for you. 
right? So we generate the code that you need, and then you can then check in that code, and that code then gets executed for you as your test inside of the Xamarin Test Cloud. So those are like UI type tests. Click yes, on this yes, button over good, here. Good question. Yeah, these are around. not unit tests. These are okay, what I would classify UI. as an integration test or a UI test okay. because mm -hmm. that is an installed application literally clicking on the button and doing what the app is designed to do. A unit test would never do that. It runs in isolation completely. In, like it doesn't touch real databases, it doesn't touch file systems. You know what I mean? It's, it's a unit. When you go into the test cloud, you are now doing full integration testing because it's going to try to call to a backend. It's going to touch your database. It's a real live test. So, but those tests are actually written in C sharp, okay. but they're generated for you. So even if you don't know C sharp, you can still get pretty far with it. I was going to ask. I mean, most of our listeners are either Objective C or Swift. Got it. And Got so, it. you know, I was curious. Yeah. Is, is test cloud something that I can use if I write my stuff in Objective-C or Swift Ooh, or question. JavaScript even? Great question. So how your app was designed is of no importance to us. It's the right. test that we yes. need to make understand. So if you're writing native, like well, I don't want to say the word native because Xamarin guys get mad at me, yeah, but yeah. if you're writing in Objective-C <laughs> or you're writing directly in, in Java for your for the other platform, the Google platform, then you doesn't matter to us because mm -hmm. we don't know. It's just an app, right. right? You give us your IPK or your IPA file, whatever the mm -hmm. one, or APK for the other guys, and then we basically just install that on the app like we normally would. Right. And it's the test that we need to have to understand. And then we're just going to go beat your app up mm -hmm. and then tell you if it performed the way that we expected to. Great question, but yeah. So I can take my native app. I can plug. I can generate yeah. the tests with the Xamarin tools. Yep. And I don't. It doesn't matter that they're in C sharp. They just work exactly okay. exactly great question absolutely now does it work also with like a javascript framework like a react native so or like cordova or whatever okay. again it doesn't matter if you can get that app installed on a machine we can test it for you okay yep so how does verification work so you do, you can press a button yep. you, obviously you can get a location of where to touch on the screen sure how do you verify that it did the right thing well what you can do for example is let's say we had an autofill to where i should you should know me i click on this button i want you to load my address so you now have a text box. And what I can say is that this text box value should equal my address. This zip code better equal this number after I've taken this action of clicking that button. So mm -hmm. we're able to then go back in and literally code the verifications that we want. Right? And it also could be after I click this button, I better end up on this page of your application. If I don't, then you've navigated to the wrong place or maybe we got an error and things like that. So right. there's literally a search that you put into the code that you define. How, how do I say this passed or failed? You're in complete control over that. Okay. Yep. But how does that work? If you want to go to screen A versus screen B, how do you write a test for that? Well, I wouldn't actually write the test. I would record the test. Okay. I would have the tool record the test. So what I would do is fire up the application in either an emulator or a simulator or even a physical device tethered to my machine. And then I would go inside Visual Studio, create a new Xamarin test project, and I would literally start saying record. And what it would do then is actually mimic everything that I'm doing on the screen. And when I click on the button and it navigated to another screen, what I would be able to do then is verify either by the title or by some information that I expect to be on that screen that, yes, I landed on the right one. It could be any attribute that says, yep, I know I ended up where I'm supposed to end That's up. Like, okay. Yeah, and then continue on with your testing. Okay, so it's the same way we test our, our fat clients or web applications. Yeah. It's the same technology. Okay. You just apply it to mobile. So we've talked a lot about testing, but what other things should people be thinking about putting into their DevOps process for mobile apps. Distribution, the hockey app stuff. Yeah, yeah. so usually we talk about uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about, especially with the automated testing and the build is usually kind of termed under the continuous integration part. Right. But uh, I think when we say mobile, we really try to extend that from continuous integration to continuous delivery. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just having an IPA produced is a great first step and, and adds a lot of value, but really being able to get that, that deployed onto a device automatically 
uh, really changes it from integration to de to delivery. And so uh, Hotcamp provides it's a like great we built that for, that for users, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Hotcamp has a really great solution for that. It basically automates the entire uh, process of uploading that mm -hmm. stuff. So after your basically tool gets produced, you produce your IPA, you produce that APK, you just upload it. It's just a REST call that does an HTTP post up to the cloud-based service. And then basically the, the cloud Hotcap service will host that file for you. So when a device wants to download that app, all it needs to do is basically communicate. And Hotcap surprise a uh, web app. It has native apps for all of the major platforms. You can log in. You can provide authentication for your users so that you don't leak that data out to a community that you don't want to or broadly distribute as you want. And then it's just a single click. So we trigger the automatic installer to install into each of the devices automatically. So I have a few questions about this. And people can go if they want more details. We interviewed Thomas yep. at, yes. at Build mm -hmm. in April. Yeah. But yeah, just to give people an idea. So you build the IPA, you hand it off to Hockey App. Hockey App pushes it up to the App Store. Uh, how much does it really manage for you, though, as far as, A, getting it out to people who are going to test it out before you deliver it, mm -hmm. and B, if there's some sort of approval process, say, for the iOS app store, mm -hmm. you know, does that communication then happy, happen with Hockey App, or does that happen between you and them, or how does that go on? So I would say that that depends really on how you like to do development. Okay. And so we have the full range of customers that use Hockey App, and I would say Hockey App supports kind of all the scenarios in there. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of people have an open beta community where they don't care who uses their app. In fact, they actually prefer that as many people as possible use their beta app. So right. they upload the hockey app and they actually just set it to be a public distribution. And then they tweet it a bunch and they post on a Facebook and they send out emails to everybody with the URL. And they're just hoping that as many people as possible do that. The idea there being that every one extra beta tester is one better chance that I'm going to be able to mm -hmm. catch a crash or catch a bug in my software. So they sign up for the, they go to that link, they sign up, and then it just installs it on yeah, their phone? Yeah, you don't even actually need to sign up. So if you're doing a public distribution, there's no authentication, and so all they need is the URL. They can mm -hmm. directly install from just a URL. Gotcha. So it makes it really, really lightweight. The entire time from basically a dev post in a new build, the, the time somebody could download it would be like five seconds. So none of this like multi-day review process through the App Store, nice. none of this like a uh, long process of, you know, a nebulous response mm -hmm. from the App Store. It's whatever your app is, just push it out. And then you go all the way to the other side where some of maybe some of our enterprise customers or maybe some of our corporate customers tend to be very, very restrictive. Mm -hmm. They maybe have corporate data or this is an app that, that they only want to distribute to a very, very small right. number of people. And so Hockey App allows you to really manage that kind of user restriction that user access into it. We integrate with things like Azure Active Directory. So if you're mm -hmm. using uh, AAD for corporate credentials, that right. kind of thing, then you can actually enforce that they have to sign with their corporate credentials and validate with the Active Directory server on the back end before they're allowed to download this application. And so I would say that we have kind of the full spectrum there as to how comfortable you are. It depends. And I, I would say that this is an area where I don't think there is necessarily best practice. I think usually there is some set of early release where you have a small group, so mm -hmm. say the dev team or maybe just the QA team. You usually get to a certain quality level where you feel happy with that and you want to release to a larger group. Usually the larger group is either within your company or your organization or sometimes and sometimes not. It's an external uh, audience, depending upon if you feel like that kind of release mechanism and being transparent is a value to your application. And then, you know, you, you want to monitor that and actually get some quality metrics back from there and then go to finally the actual production release. Hockey also kind of helps uh, support the production release. I was actually talking to a customer who uh, says they actually use us for their deployment. So rather than emailing files back and forth between them and their release manager who actually mm -hmm. goes to the Apple store and has the like keys to the kingdom in the Apple store, right. they actually use Hockey App. So since that person can install the app, they can actually install the app on their phone. 
And then they know that they can get the exact same app that they just installed and test and download it from Hockey App onto the machine so that they can manually upload to uh, the store. So definitely has uh, some capabilities there to kind of help reassure you that the production build that you're going to release to production is exactly the same as the one that you're about to uh, no, test it. That's very cool. So I had a question on how you're actually creating the URL. Because one of the problems if you're doing any type of enterprise distribution in the Apple ecosystem is, okay, you've got this this IPA and get bugs flying at us. Yes, right. <laughs> and right. if it's a new company, you've never set up the distribution, you got to talk to their web person and make sure they can handle all the different file types. So Hockey App handles all that for you? Yeah, Hockey App takes care of all of that. I mean, like, ultimately, no matter what kind of package you do, you do the standard packages that you do for a device. So IPAs, APKs, that kind of thing. You upload them to Hockey App, and then it, Hockey App automatically generates that URL for you. So you just share the URL. In fact, we actually have a kind of a fancy feature where we actually have a QR code, so you can just share the QR code, which encodes the URL if you wanted, um, with your users. But all of that is kind of transparently handled by Hockey App. You just basically share the URL, and they click the URL and install. If you'd like to, you can add the access restrictions in there, depending upon how restrictive you want to be in, in your distribution. But that's somewhat independent from the actual distribution mechanism. Ultimately, it's just a couple of calls that get validated through the uh, through the rest. Oh, yeah, it's a great feature because. That's kind of a headache, especially if you're working with a smaller client that doesn't really have a real sophisticated web team. And like, yeah. you have to set up all these authentication things. Like, you can just do it. You can point and mm -hmm. click, add these people on. They're allowed. So, no, it's a really useful feature. So, the really interesting thing there is when you start to couple something like through the VSTS offering, right? Where VSTS sets up this continuous integration build build task, but it also includes the integration steps with Hockey App. So. The, the I'm going to stop you, get, you for a second yeah, and just ahead. clarify VSTS for those who are not. Visual Studio, with Team Microsoft. Services. Yeah. Yeah. Visual Studio Team Services. Right. Yeah, Visual yeah. Studio Team Services is the twin of Team Foundation Server, right. which is our on-prem product. And mm -hmm. what we've done is we also have a SaaS offering called Visual Studio Team right. Services. So it is work item tracking, source control, continuous integration, continuous deployment, yep. package management. It's this holistic set of tools that allows you to build the mm -hmm. pipeline that we keep preaching. You can build that entire pipeline strictly with Microsoft. But each of those verticals can also be replaced of the tool of your choice, right? We don't force you to use everything together. We encourage you to because we've done all the integration for you. But if you only want our build system or you only want our source control and you already have other tools you want to use, you can continue to use those. Right. But that's VSTS and TFS. That's it. Thanks for stopping us on those acronyms. We use that's them. Right, that's we right. throw them around quite yep. a bit. That's right. We do like the acronyms. But I think you were going towards release management. Yeah, like. I think yeah. Uh, the exciting part that happens for me as kind of a developer is really that it's kind of the setup and then forget, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, the dream scenario there is that I really get it to the place where I set up a VSTS CI build. Mm -hmm. And the CI build is triggered automatically on basically a check-in to Git. So I type, I just check into master, and it automatically builds my master branch. And then since Hockey App integrates there as well, not only do I get like a dev build that comes out of my master branch on every commit, but it's also deployed actually out to every single like kind of stuff. So this is like a nightly build on steroids, right? Like every single commit automatically gets built, automatically gets mm -hmm. deployed to that. And if you're using like Hockey App through the automatic upgrade, then everybody in say that like dev build would get like a notification on their phone instantaneously to get the latest build. So like the speed of that, like collapsing down to just like a few minutes to do your build where mm -hmm. it's actually on devices is really powerful. And then basically you can take that where now all you have to think about as a developer is just like, oh, I'm just dev and code. When my feature's done, I just integrate to master. That's it. I don't have to think about anything else. And you can actually start to extend that to even more of the, the process moving yeah. forward. So now let's say we have that like dev build like every time we integrate and stuff like that. But we got stakeholders, we got like people at our company that want to see this build and stuff like that. So let's say we do something on a lower frequency, like maybe they mm -hmm. want to get an update every week or something like that. So right. we just set up another build and you know, every single week it, it Friday night comes along, it just pulls the uh 
whatever the full master is branches out to another branch, sends that out, and then they get an update, so they can actually keep keep an eye. And by being automated, right, it takes away all that stuff. Like no more status email updates of like what have we delivered this week, right? Like <laughs> right. the dev team, like dev team just gets to write code, check into the source control, live where they're happy. Instead, like, you know, the commit tests come up, you see the release notes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Your stakeholder wants to see, well, what happened in that, that build? Your marketing guy wants to be like, oh, when's that new feature coming? You can just log in on Monday and get mm-hmm. the latest build that happened just a couple days. That's, that's hugely valuable because everyone's worked with a company where the CEO comes in like, right. give me the build right now. Yeah. What are you working on? It's always ready. Yeah. Is that right. what you're doing? Yeah, it's always ready. Make me that build. Just go to the URL. It's already taken care right. of. Exactly. And you can, you can get away from that. And then, almost, I mean, like, it's not even just within the company, right? You can extend this all the way to, like, production, right? Mm-hmm. So, like... Instead, you say you're doing something like Git flow, right? And so you have your master branch, but then when you want to do a release, you branch off of that to a sub-branch, mm-hmm. like a release branch. And with the VSTS tools and stuff like that, you can actually set up that it automatically triggers on the on the VSTS build, produces a build, releases that build to Hockey App. This time, maybe you call it Gold Master, right? Like, this is the Gold Master build that we're about to release to production. Mm-hmm. If you're taking advantage of the release management uh, features of VSTS, then you can actually put gates and checks in there. So maybe you'd like to... Maybe your CEO actually like to try the app and assure that it's exactly what he wants before they release out to the company. So right. you can have your CEO be assigned as an as an approver so that he can go in, he can install the app, he can take that gold master, put it onto his phone, make sure that everything is right, and then automatically click. And it's one click. So all of the automation of the test, the logging into the Apple portal, that can all be automated away so that you only have to really focus on the things that matter, which is like, what is your app doing? And, mm-hmm. and you know, when do you want to deploy instead of kind of constantly dealing with these these automation tasks? So... It turns something that usually is like an ongoing tax for a dev team in an organization right. into a one-time cost to get things set up. But after that, it's all automated. Then as a developer, all I do is I check in code when I want to do a release. So all I do is I just fork off a branch to a release branch. It makes the, uh, the process way, way faster and much easier. So how much control do you have over what source control events trigger a build? Right now, it's you can control which branches you watch. Okay. So if you have multiple branches, you can say, I only want to watch master. So if people are going crazy in all their feature yeah. branches, I don't want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. I don't want those building. Um, they could send what we call private builds if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But we don't want those guys just creating noise and creating just dozens and dozens of releases. right? So I can say, I want you to watch master. And in that scenario with Git, you normally have a pull request workflow, right. which says, I'm going to submit a pull request into master saying, hey, these are changes I think go into master. These are the people who have to review it. When they say everything's good, that code finally gets merged into master. And then this process Joshua just talked about will kick off and that code will start going. We also have the ability, uh, he was talking about approvers. I'm just going to double click on that a little bit. Approvers are a list of individuals or groups that have to give a thumbs up before our pipeline will continue. So again, to control how many actually get deployed to anywhere where someone can see them, we could all be approvers. And if I don't like it, I'll reject it. And then that's the whole pipeline will just stop and say, okay, this build is not going any further because Donovan said it wasn't okay. And I can give a comment on why I don't think that this should go any further. I might've found a critical bug that you guys missed or- Come on, Donovan. I, I, I know, I'm pretty good at testing. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> but no, but there's any reason, right? And it's really yeah. nice how we can have that complete control over what gets released and what doesn't get released. So I, I think the approvals is one of the bigger features of release management that right. gives you complete control. As much as I want to remove every human being I can from my DevOps pipeline, there's simply a point where you need to get that approval. Okay. And what's really nice is that, again, it's like you set it up and you forget it. The tool's going to make sure that it gets the approval and audit that it got it and then move it on. I don't have to go back in and say, okay, did everyone say thumbs up? Okay, now let me click another button. No, it'll go solicit all of the approvals, sending out alerts. And then you come in and you say yes or no. And then when everyone that I've said needs to say yes, it'll go start rushing through. It's right. just a great system. So 
I really like the stories, right? Sure. So I'm hoping to hear about some company that had like a nightmare process, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, the the CEO's sister-in-law's cousin built this <laughs> was pushing the build button and then FTPing it up to somewhere that eventually it wound up in the app store, right? And then they start using a system like this and they're like, "Oh, the heavens opened." Right. I mean, do, do you have stories like that? They played some of them in the keynote today. So uh-huh. if you go back and watch the keynote, when we when Scott talked about the acquisition of Xamarin, it kind of talked about that story about mm-hmm. how hard our life was before we had this unified way of writing an application, just focusing on the value and not focusing on the low-level technology right. and being able to reach all three of them. And I don't have an exact anecdote from a customer that's told mm-hmm. me that, but it's the same transformation that they're having. I have it from non-mobile teams that go through the same transformation. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, where it's just... My God, we had human intervention. Every time it was firefighting, it was all mm-hmm. hands on deck. I mean, we're stay up until the middle of the night trying to deploy our app because it was always a train wreck. All that goes away when you start implementing DevOps. And it's true for mobile as well. Oh, totally. Yeah, so it was interesting. It's like whatever hurts the most, you need to do that over and over right. and over again, right? Because mm-hmm. what ends up happening is, is if I have to pay that tax every day, I'm going to fix this. If mm-hmm. I don't have to pay the tax once every release, yeah, I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to dread that day. But it's only one day every out of six, six months. months. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right? So I'm like, who cares? Like, oh, whatever. <laughs> it that bad. It's a rough day, but yeah. the rest of the months are great. But My users will forgive me. Exactly, exactly. Right. But if you have to do this every week because your competitors are doing this every week. Right. And if yeah. you don't keep up and then I, especially in the, in the mobile world, yeah. it is there's 12 guys with the same exact app that you have. It's true. Right? And I see them getting updated in five stars. I'm going to go there because I'm, I'm sick of waiting on you. So you have to speed up. But if you speed up just recklessly, you'll yeah. do more damage than good mm-hmm. because what you're pushing out there is going to get rated really low because it's really buggy. And like, screw, and, and you. what I've noticed too, and I mean, I, I run some websites myself, you lose a customer, getting them back is yeah, it's really hard. It's hard. Goodness, right? Yeah, it's Your competitor has to fail and screw up really bad for them to even reevaluate you. So you need to make sure you hold on to the customers that you have because mm-hmm. once they're gone, getting them back is like pulling teeth. So yeah, and keeping them a lot easier so than getting new people too. Absolutely, so, right, absolutely. Right. Keeping who you have is so much easier than either getting them back or trying to accru- right. get new people to come yeah. on. So you want to do the DevOps best practices such that you can ex- accelerate your velocity but not jeopardize your quality in the process. Right. That's why we spoke for so long on testing, mm-hmm. right? Because oh, you don't want to speed up crap to production. You want to <laughs> deliver value to That's production, right. right? And there's a big difference there. And I tell people all the time, DevOps is not about just copying files to a server. Mm-hmm. It's about delivering value to our end customers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes it might just be an infrastructure change. Sometimes it might be a code change. There's, there's lots of different ways to deliver value that aren't specifically your application. And that's what I want my customers to focus on, delivering value. And that goes back to another feature of Hockey App. How do I know if I delivered value? Just because I put an application out there, did I deliver value? Is anyone using that new feature? The only way I can determine Twitter that- Twitter acclaim. <laughs> well, the best way to determine is to actually monitor your application, yes. right? To put custom telemetry in there. I added this new feature, is anyone clicking on it? And we can use the telemetry that you get from Hockey App to say, yes, we deployed this app and look at how many, 50% of our customers are now clicking that button that wasn't there a week ago. Mm-hmm. But if we add a new button and only 2% are clicking it, there's a there's a couple things that we can infer from that. One, our UI is horrible and not intuitive, or that was a useless investment yes. of our time, right? But either way, I now know I need to go back in and look at that again. Let's run another experiment. Maybe we uh-huh. need to change the color, change the background, change the position of the button on the screen, draw more attention to it, or it's just a crap idea, and we need to pull yeah. that because even when we tried that, no one uses it. So that's how I knew I delivered value mm-hmm. and not just copied a new version of my software to a server. That sounds a lot like what 
Eric Ries says to do in the Lean Startup. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Where you do that experiment. Yep. And then, yeah. Yeah. And you can do that on, I mean, you can do A-B testing. You can uh-huh. do all sorts of different type of testing on yep. mobile and on, on, on normal DevOps, right? Yeah. So I was not a mobile developer. I wouldn't still claim that I'm a mobile developer. I can get an app built, right? But I would not claim myself a mobile mm-hmm. developer. I am a DevOps guy. Right? Mm-hmm. And what I do is I take these best practices and I find every language in which I can apply those, every technology in which I can apply those. And they fit perfectly in the mobile world because the goal yeah. of every one of us that's writing software is to get that software to our customers as fast as we possibly can, regardless yep. of what platform you're writing on. So I just apply these practices to every piece mm-hmm. of software I can get my hands on. Well, the other thing is, is we're talking essentially about the science of, of human behavior, right? Be it our users and how they tap crap sure. on their phone sure. or you know our our teams and how they interact with our systems and what hurts and what doesn't <laughs> how we deal with that sure. in devops and so if you can focus on that and you can figure these things out you know by having good processes around it by having good analytics that help you get there then you can start to make good decisions with good information because you know that people essentially are going to do what's easiest or least painful. Right. And so you take away the pain. You make it easier for them to do the right thing. You make it easier for them to do the thing that makes you money. I mean, whatever. Uh, that's that's the payoff. Right. And so, yeah. So what you're saying, you know, the things that you do that work, they work everywhere. Because yes. people are generally the same everywhere. Yes. And the and goal s- is the same. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. So I wanted, you mentioned A-B testing. Yep. How, how, how can we add A-B testing to our apps? Oh, there's several ways of doing that. One of them is feature flags is one uh, way of being able to do that, where you're able to distribute an application and only turn on a particular feature for a subset of all your users mm-hmm. and to see how their experience is with that app versus other. We actually have a partner called LaunchDarkly mm-hmm. that has an extension for Visual Studio Team Services. So Visual Studio Team Services is an ecosystem mm-hmm. to where vendors can actually add more value to it. Feature flags for a lot of people, even for me at first, I thought it was like this mythical technique. It's an if statement. Like, let's yes. just break it down, right? It's an if statement. The, the trick is where is the, the decision stored, uh-huh. right? The decision is usually stored in a database. Yeah. And then based on that decision, I either show you this feature and I show him a different feature. And then mm-hmm. I can look at the telemetry that I get back and say, well, did he finish shopping when he saw that one experience? Well, he always seemed to finish shopping and, and had a lot of money in his, um, in his shopping cart when we had this experience that showed him discounts or free shipping if you add one more item. And we didn't show that to you. So that's how we're able to do A-B testing and say, wow, that seems to be effective because the majority of the people that we showed this experience to ended up spending a lot more money than the people that we showed your experience to. So mm-hmm. it's about managing the distribution of those features and then being able to correlate who I gave what to make sure that when I'm looking at the data, it's not mixed up. There's a uh, there's an example where he, even at Microsoft we made we took one of these experiments we did some A/B testing but the numbers were way off. What we didn't realize is two people were running experiments at the same time, right? <laughs> and they all came together and they were skewing our numbers. So right. there, there's a lot of responsibility that comes to feature flagging and A/B testing to make sure that what the numbers and the values that you're getting back you can interpret those correctly. Mm-hmm. But that's that's one example. Of yeah, we we had a discussion with Neil Ford okay. from ThoughtWorks. Okay, and he talked a lot. I mean, his the main focus of the episode was about just doing all your development master branch and then using feature flags to manage who yeah. saw what. But he talked a lot about managing feature flags. So if our listeners are interested in that, they can definitely check that Great. out. Great, yeah, well. they're they're a powerful technique. Yeah, but and I I had a I have a show DevOps interviews where I took uh-huh. uh, Aaron Bork 
and uh-huh. I made him talk about feature flags because so many people. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing yeah. because I said, okay, they're not a silver bullet. Tell me the bad side of feature flags, right? So did you talk about the fact that we eventually did. you have to go back and clean those feature flags up? Yes, like, that was yeah. one of the big ones. That's exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, this can't be a silver bullet because every time I add a feature flag, the psychomatic complexity is going up, yeah. right? And, and then when do I decide that I go back yeah. and clean that up? Because they're also a good way yeah. to remediate an issue. Mm-hmm. I put out a feature and it's wreaking havoc. I can just turn it off for everyone, yeah. right? And I don't have to then rush out a new fix, right? So yeah. it's a great way to only roll forward. A lot of our customers mm-hmm. are concerned with, okay, the deployment went bad. How do I roll back? And even in the VSTS team, we don't. We roll forward. So what we do is we use feature flags. And if something really haywire goes, we can just turn that feature off, give us time to remediate, and then push right. out a fix the proper way and not sitting there trying to pull our hair out. So, it's so you can really have problem. something that's actually released to the customers in the app store mm-hmm. and turn off the feature that Absolutely. you don't like. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can run your test, see what's working better, and say, okay, this one wins. Turn it off. Right. And, and then yeah. everyone gets the other feature. And then eventually you would go back and clean your code up to where the previous feature or the other experiment just yeah. gets deleted completely. Yeah. Okay. So even if you don't have a back end for your mobile app, you can store those somewhere where it can go check in. Absolutely. What, what feature flag should Absolutely. I have on? That's a quick call. They don't use a ton of data. And... It's turned off. And, and, and LaunchDarkly is a service that provides that feature flagging for you. So you don't have yeah. to worry about where are my flags stored or who gets to see them. They manage mm-hmm. all that magic yeah. for you. You just make an API call saying, is this flag on or not? And if it is, your app performs one way. And if it's not, it performs another way. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah, like you said, I mean, there, there are some gotchas. One of the things that I think Neil pointed out was like you said, you know, you get like 30, 40, 50 feature flags. Okay. You're not pulling them out. And then, and then it's like, why isn't this feature showing up? You know, why isn't this new thing showing up when it should? Or, right. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just wanted everyone to know that. Is that they're, they're a fantastic technique, mm-hmm. and, but they come with a cost like everything else. Well, everything right? else. Everything has a trade-off. Nothing, exactly. You don't get anything for free. Yeah. Right. I was scarred for years. I did C++. Well, if that's and everything, you know, just like, so I, 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 I rejected feature flags for a long time until that episode. I'm like, okay, <laughs> if we clean it up, we're okay. Yeah, exactly. it's a yes. maintenance thing there too, for sure. Yeah. So it's interesting you talk about feature flags. There's actually a, a even more advanced technique that you can use in mobile, which is if you're using one of the JavaScript-based frameworks like uh, Cordova oh, or yeah. uh, React Native, right? Native. Then you actually have JavaScript code, which is interpreted. It's not compiled, right? And so you can actually change the code on the fly. And so Microsoft actually has a tool called CodePush mm. that basically works I forgot as a about service. That. Yes. So CodePush is like it's almost like A/B testing on steroids because rather than just deploying an actual like feature flag, you're actually deploying the feature itself, mm-hmm. like in an A/B testing manner. So what you can do is you can actually change the diff, and their tool automatically goes through, looks at your JavaScript code, diffs it with the existing code that's actually out there in production creates a delta package that represents the difference of what that package is. And then you can selectively apply that to who you want. So if you want to roll out to just a percentage of your customers. So what you can do is not just like, not just a feature flag with a feature that's already been deployed where you have both packages out there, but basically after you've gone to the, the store, you can actually live update that whole yep. feature set or roll out an additional feature or, or change some code. Basically all automated, like kind of uh, mm-hmm. in this real time manner. So you could change some code, watch the telemetry come back in real time in production, and then maybe an hour later actually roll out to the rest of the Just customers. don't tell Apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a- Apple allows you to do it. The thing that's interesting about that, though, is that, yeah, once you figure out what you want mm-hmm. to work and deploy, then you push that up to the app store as right. the regular app, and that way, because you don't want somebody to download your app and have it immediately say, I have to update. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, but yeah, I mean, other than that, yeah, that's a terrific way yeah. to go. So that's really exciting, especially things like, you know, you have a bug fix, right? There's no need mm-hmm. to wait for that time to get through the app review process, yes. push out another stuff. You can just change the bug fix 
fix that code up right away. So yeah. definitely something interesting if you're of the JavaScript uh, persuasion there in the mobile development. Yeah, I I don't know what how how I feel really about JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually warming up to it as I get older. It's it's weird. Uh, yeah. I used to hate it. Uh, I loathed it because it was so just free and you can make a function that has functions off it that yeah, then yeah. has mm -hmm. properties. It's like what the? Because I come from C plus plus too, right? So that was my lineage. Is I was very fast, very terse yeah. very you know and it was just like yes i need a semicolon and it just does what i tell it to do and then all of a sudden it's just like nah just do whatever you want i'll change my value i was a string and now i'm a number like nope i just couldn't mm -hmm. get it i need a strongly type so things yeah. like typescript are, are helping the javascript community quite a bit but mm -hmm. at this point i'm starting to get used to it and soften it up so yeah i do more node.js development now than, than anything which is kind of odd yeah yeah we have a pretty big uh showing of javascript you know i yeah. mean that I'm wearing the shirt. But, anyway, yeah, exactly. but yeah, so uh, yeah, if people are interested in that, they can definitely go check out JavaScript Jabber. Cool. We also have a show on React Native. Oh, wow. So if people okay. want to go check out React Native Radio. Oh, wow. It's actually pretty exciting. I, yeah. I think the React Native community is maybe one of the one of the most exciting communities, I think, for, yeah. for mobile these days. And, and there's so much going on, yeah. so much potential there. Anyway, I know we're kind of getting to the end, and we like to do picks. We're not doing as many interviews as we did at Build, so I think we'll do picks, too, if you have a pick you want to share, Jane. All right. So our hotel's out in Marietta, which is not that much going on in Marietta. Sorry for people who live there, there and love it. Uh, but we don't have much by the hotel, don't have a car. So I walked around to a place called Papadou, packed to the gills Sunday night. I had you know, stuffed shrimp, shrimp wrapped in bacon with Monterey Jack cheese and jalapeno peppers. I can't remember what they call it. That was amazing. So if you had a Papadou near you, and you want some shrimp and dirty rice. It was good. So that sounds really good. That was that was good. <laughs> right by the hotel. Yeah. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> that's my. We thing. have those down in Texas too. They're okay. delicious, and they have a Papacitos. That's their Mexican food chain that mimics that one. Their their mm -hmm. food is always fantastic. Very nice. Good place. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is the Lean Startup, just because we kind of talked yeah, about it here. Really you know, if you and and they walk through a lot of that experimentation and how to think about it and when to build the feature and when to just put a button in and see how many people sure. want it and sure. stuff like that. It's really good. The other pick that I have is James had to go to dinner by himself last night, I think, because I actually have family in the Atlanta area, and so I went to a three-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> but anyway, I took Lyft, and it's so interesting to me how over the last year or two, there have been these services that come up that just make it so easy to get around. Sure. And so, yeah, just taking Lyft back and forth. I've had some terrific folks drive me around. It's just been a lot of fun, and it's cheaper than a cab. And the cars are usually nicer too. Oh, very so, cool. So, so anyway, so I'm I'm definitely gonna uh, shout out about Lyft. People use that other service that I, I never yeah. use. I always Lyft. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I use the other one sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uber's good too. Yeah. There you go. All right there. Yeah. I didn't know if we were allowed to say it or not. It's all good. Uh, Donovan, do you have some picks for us? Oh uh, yeah. I'm. We were talking about it a little earlier. I'm a BMW fanatic. I mean, just I am obsessed with them. I, I love nice them cars. To death. Yeah. And I and I have more than any human should. So. It, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're a little bit of a burden sometimes, but I, I love them to death. And uh, I'm a big fan of air hockey. I happen to be uh, at one point ranked as 11 in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so there is actually a thing as professional air hockey. So I'll just I'll say that one too so people are aware. I'll watch you play. I won't play against you. I, and most people don't <laughs> anymore. <laughs> it's hard to get them to play against me. What about you? What about you, Josh? So, so my, my oh. pick is actually, uh, you know, I'm on the Hockey App team. I work with the Hockey App product. And not the Air Hockey App. Yeah, that's right. No, no, no. Not that, that one. No, no. <laughs> and uh, unlike the, the entirety of the rest of the hockey team, I actually really love hockey. I, I actually played hockey for 14 years. And so oh. my pick's the, the best hockey team that's actually out there. 
which would be the Detroit Red Wings. So that would be my uh, pick. The, uh, the See, I'm not sure the... Chuck is convinced hockey is a real sport. Can you? <laughs> hey, people the, bleed. The it's sport. a real sport. Yeah, okay, fair enough. There's defense. It's a sport. That's my that's yeah. my definition of it. There's defense. All right. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah. This yeah. Definitely. If if people want to find out what you're working on personally or check out some of these tools, I mean. The best Where's way to get a hold of me is Twitter, right? I check it more often than I check my email. So I'm at Donovan Brown on Twitter. And it's also a great way to get questions answered because my followers are adamant about DevOps. And you'll ask me a question before I can get there. My followers have answered it for you. Well, uh, and deal. if they haven't now, I will literally get people from the product group on that thread if I yeah. have to. There is no replacement for a good community. That's really cool. And, and I'm trying to build that for us at Microsoft as well. Yeah. And I'm on Twitter at Joshua Weber MSFT. Since Joshua mm-hmm. Weber is a rather popular name, and <laughs> Weber with one B, that's yeah, just one B. <laughs> and uh, you can definitely reach out to me on uh, Twitter. I'm happy to talk to people. All right. Well, thank you for coming. This has been really fun. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot.